Stories of S's. I'm Gabby. And I'm Daniel. <laughs> and Daniel is again in our remote location. He is currently transcribing his Mario Kart manifesto, and we can't wait to read it. <laughs> the key is drifting. If you don't drift, you will. You have no chance. No chance. So, ladies and gentlemen, be prepared to read it. Um, after he comes back from his trip with himself. <laughs> uh, I want to take a moment again. Uh, thank you everyone f- for tuning in. Thank you all so much for listening and for, you know, messaging me. Um, I, I really appreciate all the love that we get and all the fun, like, Oh my God, I didn't know texts. It's, so great to read and i really really appreciate it and i know danny does as well we really do and on top of that today is our 10th episode we made it to double digits double digits Ooh. um and this week we are on a mythology role and we're talking about a character who i didn't even know existed in mythology in general until I read the A Court of Thorn and Roses series. And I just thought that was her name. I didn't know it was an actual mythological goddess. And today we're talking about the Morrigan. Danny, do you know who the Morrigan is? Well, I had no idea before. You told me about it. So I did a little bit of my research, of course. And it seems like um, she is uh, from the Celtic mythology. And some say she's the goddess of war and death, maybe fate and a lot of other things like some even say like sex mother goddess whatever so there are like a bunch of different things and yeah. and apparently it's also that she is either like one woman only or maybe she it's like three sisters but i think it doesn't really matter it's like depending on where, where you, are you are and what you read where you are yeah exactly absolutely oh if you guys heard that that was our little kitty salem Oh, she said hi. Let's get started. This week's resources are The Morgan as a Dark Goddess, a goddess reimagined through therapeutic self-narration of women on social media by Ayn Warren, uh, talesfromthewood.ie, mythopedia.com, feminismandreligion.com, introduction to the special issue of the pomegranate on paganism, art, and fashion by Carolyn Tully, and druidry. Dot org and i want to say um from the very beginning i am not really great at the pronunciation of the names uh if you guys know how to pronounce the names and want to give us a one-on-one please let us know um but just know that we are you know being very respectful of what we're reading and we apologize for any mispronunciations so let's get started who is the morrigan so The Morrigan is a fascinating and enigmatic figure deeply embedded in the rich tapestry of Irish mythology. Her stories, woven intricately through an oral tradition, were later transcribed by Christian scholars between the 8th and 12th century CE, creating a complex and multifaceted portrayal. The name Morrigan appears in both Old Irish Morrigan and Middle Irish Morrigan, 
um, and scholars disagree on the exact etymology of this name, which has two different interpretations based on the first syllable of the word. More from the Old Irish form of the name can be interpreted as phantom or even death. And according to linguist Whitley Stokes, it is a cognate of the Anglo-Saxon word meaning mare, which still survives in modern English nightmare. However, more is an otherwise unattested word in Old Irish. In the Middle Irish period, the name was frequently spelled as M-O-R with an accent over the O, which means great. The second part of her name means Riggan, meaning queen, kind of like uh, the cognate of the Latin Regina. Thus, her name can be interpreted as either Great Queen or Phantom Queen, though Great Queen is preferred among scholars. There are alternate names. Um, Morgan was sometimes styled as Moragu. Both Morgan and its variants were occasionally used as a generic name for supernatural female figures appearing before great battles as the goddess of war death and fate like danny said the morgan offered prophecy and favor to heroes and gods alike she was often depicted circling the battlefield in form of a raven to carry away and eat carrion though she could also appear as a beautiful woman to seduce powerful men she was a cunning shapeshifter and terrifying omen of death to the characters of Irish mythology. She has appeared in stories as a beautiful young woman, an old weathered crone, a wolf, an eel, a cow, and perhaps most famously as a crow or a raven. Sometimes considered to have been a triple goddess, she was thought to have been the daughter of Ernmus and Delbaith, and the sister to Macha and Badup. Um, she was also thought to have been a wife or lover to the Dachta and possibly bore him a child named Adair, though her family history is somewhat hazy. Um, a lot of her story is orally passed down, um, and it wasn't, again, like in the very beginning, it wasn't transcribed until late into um, Christianity had become part of Ireland. As with so many of the Celtic goddesses, Morgan is complex and hard to pin down. The Morgan can be seen as a title given to either three different goddesses or three aspects of the same goddess. Her three aspects are Badab, Katha, Battle Crow, Maha, a plane, uh, spelled P L A I N, and Neem, which means frenzy. She can appear as both beautiful sensual woman or an ugly old hag which we kind of hear a lot as like the virgin the mother the crone which we talked a little bit about the same thing in our la llorona episode last week where we talked about the virgin the mother the whore uh, i think that's so cool that two very different cultures and peoples were describing a very similar goddess a very similar person of like this three-in-one female figure that has these three archetypes which is the virgin the mother and in irish the hag or um in mexico the whore 
Um, Over time, many different versions of her persona have come and gone. She has been linked to the Banshee of later Irish folklore, and some people have linked her to Morgan Le Fay from Welsh mythology, though this is likely wishful thinking. Countless retelling of her stories combined with some efforts by the church to rewrite her as a monstrous figure have made it difficult to know exactly what she was to the ancient people of Ireland. Though in the texts and stories that we have available to us, she was she has several important appearances. And I want to make a quick pause and talk about, again, the church just ruining stories for everyone. Well, they tell you to stop talking and spreading your stories and give you what they wrote down. It's very convenient. Just have to teach people how to read and you good. Yeah, but back then it wasn't written down. It was passed down orally. Um, and you know what's so funny is that she's also um, the a goddess of war. And so was the goddess in for the Toltecs in Mexico. Um, for uh, the one that we spoke about last week. Mm-hmm. The goddess that we had. Isn't that like so interesting that also like women in these very big popular cultures were their goddess was actually the goddess of war it is and it's really interesting to see that there are so many similarities between like such different cultures and they are so independent but you still end up like having those similarities all over right like a character like you have like this three shades of a character maybe it's three people maybe it's just like one person who knows but i think at the end it's like the picture that it is supposed to give you and for that it doesn't really matter if it's like one person or actually three to yeah basically send you a certain message right like you want to take care of your land you want to like you you can fight you can do this and you can do that yeah and um just for our purposes um the the goddess for the Toltec civilization was named um, Siwakota, um, and she's like the Mexican version of the Morgan. Um, very, very interesting. Um, going back to the Morgan, we're talking about the appearances of her in different texts and stories, and one of her first appearances is in the Kathmaga Twirid or the Battle of Moitura, where she plays a key role in the conflicts. These battles took place in modern-day Kanat and occurred 3,000 years ago when the Tuata Dedenen fought the Firbolgs in the Battle of Moitura and the Fomorians in the Second Battle of Moitura. And again, I apologize for mispronouncing, um, but thank you so much for having grace for me. In the both battles, she is shown to be a powerful and influential magician and warrior. However, in the second battle, she assumes more the role of battle goddess and prophet. Just before the second battle, she lay with Dakta, and as a reward to him, she offered strategy for upcoming battle and promised to call of the Druids of Ireland to assist in effort. She flew above the battlefield, shrieking and raining fire and blood down on their enemies until eventually they were defeated and their leader, Baelor, the giant, was killed by Luch. 
One of the prophecies of Morrigan, um, at the close of the battle, she spoke a famous prophecy foreseeing a time of peace. And I'm about to read it for you. It goes as follows. Peace to the sky, sky to the earth, earth beneath sky. Strength in each man, a cup full of honey, honor enough, summer and winter. Spear supported by shield, shield supported by forts. Forts fierce and eager for battle, fleece from sheep, woods full of stags. Forever destruction have departed, fruit on trees. A branch drooping down, drooping from growth. Wealth for a son, a son very learned. Neck of bull and yoke, a bull from a song. Knots in woods, wood for a fire. Fire as wanted, walls new and bright. Salmon their victory, the boy in their hostel. Hostel of excellent size. New growth after spring, in autumn horses increase. The land held secure, the land recounted with excellence of word. Be might to the eternal much excellent woods. Peace as high as the sky. Be nine times eternal. However, on this day, the Morrigan also prophesied the end of a world in a terrifying vision that went as follows. I shall not see a world that will be dear to me, summer without flowers, cows without milk, women without conscience, men not brave, conquests without a king, woods without fruit, fishless seas, bad judgments by old men, false precedents by the, of the lawgivers, every man a betrayer, each son a robber. The son will enter the father's bed, the father also in the bed of the son. A brother becomes his own brother-in-law. None will look for a woman outside his own house. Oh, the evil time. Son will deceive father. Daughter will deceive mother. It's very, like, gives you, like, the heebie-jeebies reading that, right? Like, it sounds scary. Like, everybody's betraying everyone. There's fish without like sea without fish woods without fruit fairy conquest without king it's you know like when you put it into perspective into the times that we're living in right now right like it does parallel and mirror a lot of like what we're experiencing currently as a whole on this earth and it's also i think like reflecting what she i guess is standing for right like with those we already talked about like her different type of characters that she has if it's either her with one character or three that she's splitting up to or yeah. that she is like basically the the head of so it's all about like type of like a, a circle a like closing right? the loop and like oh yeah that's good i like how you put the, that. the one thing can't be with the other thing so mm -hmm. i feel like that's also part of the whole thing But I really like like the peace one. I really enjoy the peace prophecy. I think that that's really beautiful. Like when you read the poem, which I will add to the notes uh, for you listeners. Um, it's really beautiful and I hope you guys enjoy it. And we'll also put it on our stories. Another one of the stories that is super popular when reading about the Morrigan is the one about her and her tumultuous relationship with the hero Ku Kulain which started around the time that he fought to defend Ulster from the army of Connaught, led by Queen Med. In these stories, the Morrigan attempts to seduce Cuculain in between battles before his final defeat of the advancing warriors. 
She offers him her aid in the battle along with her love. He rejects her advances despite her great beauty and in her outrage, she vows to take her vengeance during the next battle. True to her word, in the next battle, she uses her abilities to shapeshift into an eel and trips the hero as he crosses a fjord. He retaliates and breaks the ribs of the eel. Her, she transforms again, this time into a wolf. She uses this form to bring a herd of cattle at him, but again, he bests her by firing a slingshot and blinding her in one eye. Once more, she transforms, taking the shape of a cow and leading a stampede towards him. Firing against from this slingshot, he breaks her leg and she retreats, defeated and enraged. After the battle, the victorious Cuchulain encounters an old hag milking a cow. She is lame and blind in one eye with an injury to her ribs. Not recognizing her, he accepts her offer of milk. With each drink, he blesses her and heals her wounds. Once he realizes who she is, he regrets healing her, saying that had he known her true identity, he would not have done so. Before his death, he meets her once more. This time, she appears as an old woman washing his bloody armor in a ford. Later on this story, later on in the story, he is mortally wounded and ties himself to a standing stone with his own entrails so that he can die on his feet. Oof. It is only when a black crow lands on his shoulder that he is known by his enemies to be dead. The Arthurian version of the Morgan and her sisters, known as Maha and Modron, are often traced back to Morgan Le Fay. Morgan, reciting on the Isle of Avalon, is the Fata Morgana, the most beautiful of nine sisters. The Arthurian tales intricately weave their stories, with Lancelot facing challenges at the hands of Morgan Le Fay in the, in the Valley of No Return, where trails include dragons, spectral knights, a wall of fire, and a gigantic axe-wielding knight. Morgan's role in the Arthurian narrative is complex. She plots to murder Arthur, aiming to transfer his power to Acalon of Gaul. While she provides Excalibur to Acalon, the sword ultimately returns to Arthur during the battle. In this overview of the tales, Morgan emerges, emerges as a villainess, utilizing illusions in her attempt to destroy Arthur, albeit unsuccessfully. Yet, on the 30th of December, according to Arthurian lore, King Arthur awakens in Avalon, a realm of summer stars. The great landscape, apple trees and blossoms create a serene scene, and Arthur realizes he is in Avalon, where the great ones await a call to arms. He sets off, anticipating the gathering of the round table amid the trees. Some tales suggest Morrigan played a role in transporting Arthur to Avalon, portraying her as neither wholly good nor evil. Arthurian stories focus on characters with distinct traits, and Morrigan, once a guardian of the land, has evolved into a complex figure. She is a shapeshifter associated with cauldrons that traverse life and death, embodying both benevolent and mysterious aspects. While no longer a controller of justice, she retains connections to natural and non-moral spirits. Morgan's reputation varies in poetry and prose over time. In the Vulgate Cycle, she envies Guinevere, while the prose Tristan, she presents a magical drinking horn to author's court. 
the transition from a dominant female to a male perspective influences her portrayal. Morgan is not inherently an evil goddess. She embodies birth, midwifery, healing, the moon, interpreting Arthur as the head of the dragon, the white light of dragon power, suggests a symbiotic relationship between the two. Despite the negative portrayal, some interpret Morgan as Arthur's sister, emphasizing her multifaceted nature. Modern women writers seek to restore balance to her characterization, challenging the perception of powerful women as villains. Morgan, in essence, embodies both the heroic and natural aspects, transcending boundaries and reflecting the intricate interplay between intellect, vulnerability, and the cycles of life. Beautiful. <laughs> Thank you. And I agree, yeah. And and you you exactly ended the sentence like how I would have expected it to end, like somehow like with the circle of life. And I agree, like she has like so many facets and like all over or like over the time, over the different stories and whatever is told, you will see that she's sometimes depicted as like the god of war, right? Sometimes she's depicted as like just like a shapeshifter and sometimes she's like protector of land depending on however it fits i think she like really depicts dep sorry i think she really depicts like humanity well because i think sometimes we put like gods and goddesses into this um like pedestal right and we see them as doing like only good and whatever they do is for the betterment of insert thing here. Mm -hmm. However, I think that a lot of the reality is like gods and goddesses also reflect our humanity. And the Morgan really reflects that humanity of, you know, sometimes you go to war, sometimes you're someone's best friend or someone's lover or someone's mother or someone's sister. Um, and there is this like cycle and evolution of life and the different aspects that you are as a person to be shown in the stories of a goddess is really cool to see and just see the humanity, which is weird to say, within a goddess mm. and the humanity that she shows. Um, totally. And, and yeah. you can also see that like in various other cultures or let's say stories of gods, right? Like all of them have like flaws that are human. They betray, they kill, they right. cheat, they, they do all those things that a lot of people do every day of the day. Yeah, and I, I think it's really cool to to see that and to accept that these gods and goddesses are not perfect, um, you know, that they have good and bad within them just like we do we have the good and the bad within us and in the rich tapestry of irish mythology the morgan stands out as a multifaceted figure or <laughs> her stories passed down orally and later transcribed by christian scholars she's a significant presence in various cycles and folk tales portrayed as both a sovereign and a fierce hag with a focus on her monstrous aspects. There's a paper uh, where they talk about just like her depiction and Angelique Gullermovic uh, Epstein's research highlights the Morgan's depiction as a pagan deity in medieval Irish literature. 
Despite being transcribed post-Christianization, she referred she's referred to as a goddess twice, emphasizing her divine status. You know, she could be she could have been seen as like she was a great queen, um, right? Because that's like what her name means, right? The Morgan. But they also give her there's her status of goddess, which is like she's not just a great queen; she's like she's divine. Um. The Morgan is often seen as a war goddess, but scholars like Mary Herbert argue for her multifaceted role as a guardian of the land, people, and cattle, like what you were saying. Um, Morpheus Ravenna emphasizes the limitations of medieval texts in capturing pre-Christian folklore, which is what I was arguing a little bit earlier, urging caution against skewed depictions. While there's little archaeological evidence for the Morrigan's ancient cult, contemporary pagans draw on various sources to understand her, the Morrigan, linking her to themes of battle, death, and personal power. And they really highlight that the Morrigan isn't really the goddess of death, but like she's not the bringer of death, but she rules over death, um, which it took me a while to like understand. I, I read a lot about it and I was like, what does that mean? Yeah, I, I think I read something about it too. And it's more like that she is like not really bringing death, but she is foreseeing it. And by like her foreseeing things to happen, she can alter the events and the reality that's going to happen. Is this like the same view that you have? Yeah, it is. Um, I think that's like what I thought was kind of like she you know she's in battlefield and she's in the battlefield and she's doing all this stuff um so i think this is like what she meant uh like what different people meant um when they say like she's not necessarily the goddess that brings death but she's the goddess of death um so in recent years the morrigan has been labeled a quote-unquote dark goddess in contemporary materials this term popularized by demetra george signifies an archetype associated with personal development before morpheus ravenna's influence devotees like john beckett and teethorn coyle were already drawn to the morrigan but a surge in interest especially online became evident around 2011 youtube became a platform for morrigan devotees with videos sharing, sharing personal experiences and insights. This trend started around 2012, potentially influenced by Stephanie Woodfield's book. The Morrigan is often associated with personal growth, empowerment, and transformative experiences in, the, in these videos. While the majority of contributors are women, their connection to Ireland's medieval narratives is often indirect. The lack of explicit reference to Morrigan myths suggests reliance on second or third hand sources. This detachment from historical texts may reflect a modern reframing of the Morrigan for accessibility. The concept of the dark goddess calling devotees traces back to Demetra George's 1992 text. This theme persists in the Morrigan's discourse with devotees expressing the belief that she chooses them. Videos emphasize personal experience over historical texts, creating a shared understanding of a Morgan experience. Which I think 
when it comes to religion is very interesting to see because a lot of the religions, the main religions that we see value text over experience. And for this, they value experience over text, right? Like there's text involved and there's stories involved, um, but they value the experience that they claim to have had with the Morgan more than they um, value the texts that are out there about her. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I read something similar. And I think, well, I mean, it's it's part of like, like some people do have some type of like development that they have to go through like personally or like in a relationship or whatever and you can either do that like based on internal factors right and other people say hey maybe it's it's easier for me if i think about it in a different way and think about that that someone from the outside is actually making me go through this or that and making me have this experience so that I know better in the future. And I I think it's more of a less experienced religion that we have nowadays because the user and the, the person that uses the religion is not really experiencing it in the same way as people claim that it was working with the Morrigan if you have a relationship you also have to have like some idea of how the morrigan would look like and how it would be like and how you are experiencing it so you have an interpretation of it it's different for everyone video creators like mary and evie share their personal journeys with the morrigan linking her call to trials and challenges despite being labeled a dark goddess Interpretations vary, emphasizing the Morrigan's dual nature. The videos collectively highlight the transformative impact of the Morrigan's call on individuals. The therapeutic nature of the Morrigan's depiction is evident in YouTube videos, portraying her as a force for personal empowerment. Dark Goddess discourse drawing from Jungian archetypes aligns with the emphasis of self-spirituality in contemporary culture. However, critics question whether this focus on individual well-being aligns with broader social and political demands. In conclusion, interpretations of the Morrigan in contemporary paganism reveal a tension within the dark goddess theology. While emphasizing positive transformation, the focus on individual well-being raises questions about its countercultural impact. The Morrigan's narrative, as depicted in videos, offers individuals agencies in reinterpreting challenges and fostering personal empowerment. In the realm of contemporary paganisms, there's a notable trend of seeking inspiration from the past, particularly pre-Christian civilizations, for knowledge, wisdom, and personal empowerment, which was what we were talking about. Fashion design has been one of the main things that has embraced pagan, magical, and goddess imagery, with brands like Dior aiming to make a powerful statement for women. Yen Warren's article, The Morrigan as a Dark Goddess, explores how women identify as survivors of trauma and devotees of the Morrigan, use self-narration through YouTube videos as a form of therapeutic empowerment. However, a critical question arises, um, and it's, 
Is the focus on empowerment through magical aesthetics, ancient gods, and self-expression merely self-indulgent, drawing from historically inaccurate fiction prevalent in novels and television series? Diane Perkis, in her article, Getting It Wrong, challenges historical fictions widely accepted by pagans and popular culture, warning against relegating contemporary paganism to a safe yet ineffective space of self-help. This issue delves into under-researched aspects of contemporary paganisms, exploring their depiction in visual art, fashion, literature, and media. Contributors uncover surprising manifestation, addressing identity construction, gender, race, ethnicity, self-care, personal growth, popular culture, and the aesthetic blending of DIY pagan styling with professional fashion design. Social media platforms emerge as both spaces of therapy and empowering, blurring the lines between amateur pagan style and the curated world of high-end fashion. The exploration reveals the intricate interplay between spirituality, aesthetics, and contemporary cultural expressions, like those of the Morrigan, which is really, which really goes to show just like how much you know, myths and paganism and legends and folklore really shape people, really shape cultures, even though it's like outside of like, especially in the US, that it's very like Judeo-Christian based. Outside of that, how much pagan um, goddess and gods and goddesses really affect people. I mean, like, when it comes to fashion, when it comes to platforms like YouTube, when it comes to, you know, our For You pages, um, people really seeking answers for their mental health or their empowerment through these aspects, like the goddess, the Morrigan, you know. Um, I also think that when people are empowered, they empower other people. Like, there's, like, shirts that are really popular that say empowered women empower women, right? Where it's, like, if we are empowered, if we feel empowered, we're going to want that to be how other people feel. We're going to want that to be how other women feel, how other men feel, how our friends feel. Um, and so I have to say that even though, like, this paper talks about, you know, really pushing self-empowerment um, is very egotistical. I think that when it comes to women, especially like within like a circular version of what we think is the matriarchy or we think is like women relationships, to put it that way, um, empowerment doesn't mean like if I'm empowered, I'm going to oppress you. It's like if I'm empowered and I have that, you know, feeling of peace, of feeling of I have power, I'm going to help the next person feel the same way I'm feeling. And it's going to create kind of like the peace prophecy that um, the Morgan said about, you know, it's just going to be this circle of life, this everybody needs something everybody meets someone else's needs um and we're all valued in the same way 
So if we all have that same value and we're all empowered to our own value, we appreciate the value of others. Um, so I think that's my thought on the Morgan and, you know, this m multitudes and this like multifaceted goddess of like, you can be a mother, you can be um, a virgin, you can be a crone. And it's like, you need these different types of people, right? They serve a different role, but each role is as important. Um, and yeah, that's the story on the Morgan. And I want to add to that, that I, first of all, would like to meet like all the characters that we are talking about and actually find out if they really think the same way as we are talking about them. Because it's really funny, right? Like all those stories, all this stuff, like it's evolving over such a long period of time. Um, You're going to have the best like, answers at like your company dinner icebreaker party where they're like, if you could have dinner with anyone dead or alive, <laughs> real or imaginary, who would it be? And Danny's going to be like listing all these goddesses and uh, Just, historical like, women. <laughs> <laughs> they're going to be like, actually, all the people I want to have dinner with are on my podcast stories of us. Thank you. <laughs> and yeah and i think that's that's really interesting like to just see like how this is reflected in in culture and it's still available nowadays like all those stories and the best part is that like everyone can basically choose their their god even though they might have the same name and the same fundamental ideas there still is a personal touch to it and your personal relationship to it and yeah. how you experience it, how you interpret like science and whatever it is. So it's always like this mix of like history plus your personal point of view that is adding together and creating this character basically in the middle of both. Right. I mean, it's like not just a personal experience, but an experience of people, um, of you know a community of um a way of life that you want to have and that your community wants to have as well and i think that you know the morgan really shows that um from like the irish people especially, especially like the old irish celts who really wanted to um who valued like both life and death both peace and war both um uh, not just both, but like every single aspect of life, um, you need good and bad for yourself to evolve as a person, right? Like you need moments of greatness, of happiness and moments of darkness and sadness to bring you and push you to the next part of your life, the next part of who you are, um, your evolution as a person. And um, I really think that today's episode really shows that, that you um the goddesses have that too that you can have that too you can be you know a, a goddess of of death and also and war and also a goddess of you know beauty and sensuality and motherhood and that's that's really amazing oh salem's back say hi <laughs> that's the that's the goodbye that's the goodbye. goodbye. That's a good goodbye. Say no. <laughs> Do you
you, little baby. Special guest for today. Thank you, everyone, for listening in to today's episode. We, again, appreciate you. We hope that you um, give us a five-star review on wherever you're listening to this podcast if you like this podcast. We appreciate your support and appreciate you taking the time out of your day to listen to us and learn a little bit more about all the fearless S's that are in our world um, that still influence us every day. Thank you guys for tuning in. Really appreciate it. And it's so cool to have you guys for already 10 episodes and there are so many more to come. So make sure you you rate our podcast, of course, five stars only. Uh, I don't want to see anything else, not going to lie. <laughs> you can follow us on instagram you can send us emails you know all the stuff we are on social media stories of s's on instagram and stories of s's at gmail.com if you want to send us an email with some ideas happy to have you guys and we hope you have a great week yeah thank you guys so much have a great week merry christmas uh, we will be taking a break next week um, but we will see you guys in the new year. Happy Christmas and Happy New Year and see you guys next year. Bye-bye. Cheers. Bye.